KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. A statewide flex alert went out Sunday and is extended through Wednesday. A flex alert is a call for voluntary electricity conservation to avoid rolling blackouts. The flex alert is in effect from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. each day. That's according to the California Independent System Operator, or CalISO. This comes after a record-breaking heat wave this weekend put a strain on energy supplies. CalISO says people should be prepared for rolling outages in the late afternoons and early evenings. Shifting energy use to earlier in the day or late at night will help conserve as much energy as possible. On Saturday, power outages occurred in some areas in San Diego County. CalISO declared a Stage 3 electrical emergency at around 6.30 p.m. on Saturday for about 20 minutes. For five straight days, San Diego County public health officials have reported a case rate of fewer than 100 positive COVID-19 tests per 100,000 people. Previously, county and state officials have said that if the rate is stable for three consecutive days, the county would officially be removed from the state's official monitoring list. The state now says it will have to review the data before removing the county from the list. After an additional 14 consecutive days below that number, K-12 schools could potentially reopen for in-person teaching depending on the individual school district metrics. Many small business owners rely on the U.S. Postal Service for package and mail delivery. Private competitors like FedEx and UPS tend to be more expensive, but a slowdown at the post office has hurt those small businesses. The U.S. Postal Service has new management. A major donor to the Trump administration, Louis DeJoy, is now in charge. DeJoy, who comes from the private sector, has initiated a major overhaul of USPS operations, including banning overtime and ending all late or extra deliveries. As a result, mail deliveries have slowed down. Miro Kopik is a lecturer at San Diego State University and co-founder of Bottom Line Marketing. People are expecting a delivery within one to three days, and it's taking a week to three weeks for that delivery to arrive. It's going to impact the business's reputation, and unfortunately, that's something they cannot control. The U.S. Postal Service delivers to around 160 million addresses. It is funded entirely through user fees and receives no taxpayer money. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, August 17th. You're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Elementary schools can apply for a waiver for the statewide order closing school campuses in counties with high numbers of COVID-19 cases. But so far in San Diego County, it's mostly private schools that have requested the waivers. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong has this report on how this may make existing inequalities in education worse. 
If its waiver request is granted, La Jolla Country Day School will offer hybrid programs that would allow some students and teachers to work from home. And students who do come to campus will not spend much time indoors. Gary Cron is the head of school at La Jolla Country Day. We're not allowing any student or faculty to be inside for over 25 to 30 minutes. So half of our classes are going to be outside. So we have spent a lot of resources creating outdoor classrooms and then creating the ventilation inside as, as well. However, with a tuition of about $30,000, La Jolla Country Day is among few schools able to provide such opportunities. Alicia Smith-Ariaga is executive director of the Education Trust West, a think tank studying equity in education. She said this is an example of how the pandemic has exacerbated existing inequalities. Um, being able to have a waiver for students that age in and of itself, you know, if it meets public health guidelines, is not problematic. But what does get problematic are the resources associated with actually being able to implement it and what schools can do that and which schools cannot. Cron said La Jolla Country Day School is more than willing to help close the gap. He points to the school's partnership with Rabies Children's Hospital to provide researchers with routine testing data from their asymptomatic faculty and staff. Joe Hong, KPBS News. Thousands of tenants in San Diego are facing possible evictions with housing courts set to reopen on September 1st. But two state bills are in the works aiming to keep people in their homes. Assembly Bill 1436 would pause evictions until the end of the pandemic. And Senate Bill 1410 would give landlords the option to get at least 80 percent of their tenants' unpaid rent in tax credits from the state. But landlords could also refuse and continue with the evictions. And that worries Grace Martinez, who is with the tenant advocacy group ACE. Many tenants that we are talking to and who are members of our organization are being harassed. And, you know, they're this is an opportunity for a lot of landlords to really push people out at this time. And like that's what we're seeing through their actions. The state legislative session, much like the current pause on evictions, ends at the end of this month. San Diego County businesses are pleading for help, asking for more than half a billion dollars in aid from the county because of the pandemic. But the county doesn't have anywhere near enough money to give everyone what they want. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has this story. More than 4,400 San Diego County businesses and nonprofits are asking for $650 million in economic aid due to the pandemic. The problem is the county has just over $20 million in grants to hand out. So many requests and so, so little money. The stimulus grants come from CARES Act dollars and are being distributed by the supervisor districts, meaning each of the five districts has about $4 million in grant money. In County Supervisor Jim Desmond's District 5, just under 1,000 businesses are asking for a collective $182 million. What I'm looking for and looking at is, you know, businesses that have been forced to close, you know, restaurants and things like that. They've been forced to close and reopen and close again. Supervisors will have to approve allocations in each district, something that could happen as early as next month. Supervisors are hoping the federal government will soon provide more CARES Act dollars. That was KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman.
It's the jewel of the South Bay, but the Living Coast Discovery Center has had to close because of COVID-19. And while the revenue from admissions is gone, the care for more than the 200 animals there goes on. So the center is trying to raise half a million dollars by the end of August. Animal care specialist Kelsey Worth says they need to make their goal to continue their mission. We are home to not only the animals who can't go back into the wild, but also a refuge for those who unfortunately are being displaced due to a lot of human impact. And they're almost there, having raised $400,000. Donations can be made at their website, thelivingcoast.org. The Air Force is reviewing its practices with regard to race. For years, advocates have been pointing to statistics that show black airmen are brought up for punishment much more often than their white counterparts. Now the service is under pressure to figure out why. Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project. When a young Chicagoan named Chris first joined the Air Force in 2015, he thought he was entering an environment where racism was mostly under control. But from the outset, other black airmen told him differently. Chris asked that we only use his first name to avoid damaging his career prospects. They were telling me things like, you know, you as a black man, you have to watch your back and you have to work harder and you have to you can't mess up the same way that white airmen mess up because you'll be looked at differently. As his career progressed, Chris says the environment became increasingly toxic. He found himself the target of racial slurs, and even small transgressions came with mountains of disciplinary paperwork. But Chris says white airmen were usually given more leeway and guidance when they made the same mistakes. I remember a guy, he came in hungover from Oktoberfest, and instead of giving him paperwork because he was late and hungover, the NCO said, no, just go, just sit in the back, you know, sober up. But then when a black airman comes in and he's a couple of minutes late, it's automatic paperwork because you're late. Like, it's the biggest deal. Like, you come in late, you're disrespecting my time. Chris blames that disparity for ultimately ending his Air Force career. He says he was drummed out for drunk and disorderly conduct and for unauthorized charges on a government travel card, which he blames on a scammer. In both cases, he says his superiors refused to hear evidence that would have exonerated him. Don Christensen is a retired Air Force prosecutor and head of the advocacy group Protect Our Defenders. He says non-commissioned officers and commanders make decisions about whether someone is punished and hold a lot of sway over the Air Force judicial process. Being predominantly white, they have a tendency, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, have a bias that uh, gives a benefit of doubt to white service members that they might have a closer relationship with than the black service members. Protect Our Defenders analyzed Air Force data and found that between 2005 and 2016, black airmen were about 70% more likely than their white counterparts to be court-martialed or brought up on Article 15 charges. That's a form of administrative punishment where the commander essentially serves as judge and jury. Black airmen also suffer lower promotion rates and are vastly underrepresented in the officer corps. Even with that, Christensen says, the Air Force is still missing large chunks of data about race and punishment. The service doesn't track most low-level infractions, like lateness, which can affect an airman's career progress. That's where he believes most discrimination takes place. Probably the vast majority of reprimands don't involve the legal office in any way. Uh, And there's just no process right now where you have a good fidelity of what's going on. He also wants to strengthen the appeals process, putting the onus on commanders to justify the punishments they dole out. 
While the Air Force hasn't yet made those changes, officials have acknowledged the need for more data on non-judicial punishments like reprimands, counselings, administrative demotions, and involuntary discharges. The Air Force Judge Advocate General Jeffrey Rockwell testified before the House in June. We don't have that data. We, we, we kind of know that's where the problem is. What we don't know and what we can't answer for sure is, are we mentoring everybody the same? Air Force General Brian Kelly has been looking at bias in the context of promotion and recruitment. He concedes that minority airmen may have trouble assimilating and can accumulate small punishments that hurt their chances of promotion. There's, there's no denying that from our part. We accept the fact that there's, the, there's bias in the system. We accept the fact that there's um, you know, likely racism in our ranks, and we have got work to, to eradicate it. For now, the Air Force says it will hone its training on bias and cultural sensitivity and look for ways to bring more black airmen into the service. It's also launched an investigation into how its promotions, recruitment, and judicial processes treat airmen of color. This is Carson Frame reporting. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And stay with us. So they've had drum circles and fire dancing and very, you know, kind of noisy things. People, lots of people crowded together, not wearing their masks. City and county officials say it's time for public health order enforcement to get some teeth. KPBS Roundtable host Mark Sauer interviews Morgan Cook, investigative reporter with the San Diego Union-Tribune. That's up next after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Governor Gavin Newsom says California might be turning a corner after the recent surge in COVID-19 cases. Yet there's still plenty of dangerous behavior out there. People gathering in large groups without face coverings and businesses staying open in blatant defiance of public health orders. At the local level, city and county officials say it's time to give enforcement power some teeth. Morgan Cook is an investigative reporter with the San Diego Union-Tribune. She joined KPBS Roundtable host Mark Sauer to talk about these local frustrations. Here's that interview. Well, you illustrated this conflict in a story out of Ocean Beach. What's happening there and why is the city so concerned? So for several weeks, hundreds of people have been gathering on Wednesday night in this uh, in the Veterans Plaza Park. It's this little park near the pier in Ocean Beach. And they've been coming sort of as an extension of the farmer's market, but the farmer's market has nothing to do with the action in this little park. And so they've had drum circles and fire dancing and very, you know, kind of noisy things. People, lots of people crowded together, not wearing their masks. And people in the residents who live there are are not excited about it. Now, the city tried to put up a fence around that park you're talking about, but that really didn't last very long, right? Right. Um, it lasted a few hours. They put a fence up, and then I guess one or more people who were, you know, very frustrated about the public health issues just cut it down. And so there was a tense situation that unfolded when city when uh, city council member Jennifer Campbell came to speak there and other city officials 
uh, there was a lot of shouting. Jennifer Campbell, she's a physician, isn't known for being the most outspoken member of the San Diego City Council, uh, but she put out an impassioned plea for people to take this more seriously. What was her message there midweek? You know, she was saying that it is time for the city and the county to get serious about enforcement because, you know, people have been openly defying the public health orders, you know, whether it's this drum circle or at their uh, businesses that are, you know, staying open in defiance of the order. And it's sort of, you know, that that sort of thing is getting more visible. And I think that that really worries Councilmember Campbell because, um, you know, she, as a public health person, as a doctor, you know, she she is really worried that it will result in the virus spreading and it will cause more people to violate the public health order if they feel like they can do that with impunity. And then the virus will just spread more and we will have lost all of this ground that we've gained. Like our numbers are looking good. Things are looking good these days. Um, and I think that she as a doctor is worried about people's health and she's worried about losing the ground that we've gained, and she uh, she thinks that it's time to get serious. And all eyes were on the OB Wednesday night when the next drum circle took place after that uh, fence incident. Was there a noticeable difference? Did the city have to take any action? The city was there. So city workers were there, county workers were there. A couple hundred people were dancing you know, together in the drum circle, but they weren't really doing enforcement. They were you know, asking people to wear masks handing out masks, asking people to social distance, and they definitely reserved the right to hand out citations, but it didn't seem like they were doing that, or at least not on any sort of large scale. Now, can the council step in and kind of back her play on this, standard, standardize an approach to enforcement? Is there real power to get police to do more on this issue? She told me that the council would need, the council needs to take action, right? So they need to act to create a citation and then fix the fine that would go along with it. And so she, I think she was talking about, you know, creating a citation at the city level, which would kind of force the issue, I would think. Now, aside from these gatherings we've been talking about in OB, gyms have also been a problem. COVID-19 outbreak was linked to a gym in Pacific Beach, which remained in defiance of health orders. UT and other uh, sources are reporting on gyms in University Heights and Ramona, where owners have stayed open in their defiance. Uh, these are businesses, uh, understandably, they're afraid they won't be able to recover financially in all this. But is part of this also political, with business owners claiming government overreach? Oh, I, I think absolutely, definitely that is the case. I mean, there are masks have become a political statement. You know, it's sort of politics have kind of invaded this whole issue that, you know, at its core is a public health issue. But, you know, the politics in it have sort of shaped the situation and made it, you know, as, as tense as it is now, in, in my opinion, at least. And, you know, the, the public officials are trying to walk this fine line of, you know, trying to give people as much leash as they can. You know, they're trying to make that possible while still trying to hold the reins, you know, and keep it kind of pulled back. Because, you know, I feel like it is totally fair for people to be really frustrated if their whole everything they've worked for for their business is just falling apart, you know, and they don't see bodies in the street. Like, I, I get that. And I think that they get that, too. But at the same time, if we don't protect everybody, nobody is safe when it comes to a virus like this. 
and other people want their freedom back. They want to have the virus knocked down. They want us to, to control it so that we can have more freedom back and everybody can. So it's, you know, it's difficult. It's a balance. Well, it is. And that's uh, getting at my, uh, my final question here, which is about the frustration on all this. There don't seem to be unified rules, countywide rules. You've got different cities. You've got the county itself. The uh, ebb and flow of the COVID cases, we, uh, we hit a situation with a lot of outbreaks and then things seem to get a little better. And why can't we loosen it up and get the businesses back going? Uh, we're just so fragmented. And it reminds me of a wartime and where things are fluid and changing all the time. And it's very difficult for people to know the rules. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has been described as a war on this virus. And, and it, you know, in some ways it acts like it. There, you know, there are restrictions on daily life, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard for people. It's hard for me. It's hard for everybody. But it's, you know, it's important to slow the spread of this disease so we don't see bodies in the street. And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, we're going to, of course, see this play out in the last 80 or so days we have here in this national election and this national debate. And, of course, there's elections throughout this county and cities and, uh, and, and states and places across America. So I'm sure every community is dealing with this and we're going to see the politicians and the voters uh, weigh in uh, come November. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been more happy to not be an elected official. And I'm usually pretty happy that I'm not an elected official. But now I'm really, really happy because this is this has just got to be so hard. I mean, it's so hard for everybody. You pay the Pay the cost to be the boss. Well, yeah, been- I would not want that kind of responsibility. That was Morgan Cook, investigative reporter with the San Diego Union-Tribune, speaking with KPBS Roundtable host Mark Sauer. San Diego News Matters is a daily morning news podcast powered by all of the reporters, editors, and producers in the KPBS newsroom. Tune in to KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or catch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 p.m. on KPBS Television to keep up with all the news throughout your day. You can also find us on Twitter at KPBS News, or to find our podcast producer, Kinsey Moreland, she's at Kinsey. I'm at Annika Colbert, and as always, you can find more KPBS podcasts podcasts like Only Here or Cinema Junkie on our website at kpbs.org slash podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.